Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with the reboot of Scripture Uncovered. You know, I've been teaching the Bible for a long time now, over 30 years, and I've always emphasized that the Bible, as I have it here in front of me, although written over a long period of time by many different people, moving through the hands of editors and redactors and so on, the Bible, as I have it here in front of me, and you have it there in front of you, is a unified literary work. The curtain goes up in Genesis, it comes down in Revelation. In between, we have a linear narrative. The main character is God, the conflict is sin, and the theme is redemption. And that theme of redemption hinges on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like to explore Jesus for a while now, really take a close look at him and get to know who he is and what he did on our behalf. It's an extraordinary story. And we begin with Matthew chapter 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now notice how we go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham and his wife Sarah. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, son number four, was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Well, I'll be darned. Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Oh, the book of Ruth. I think, well, certainly one of my favorite books in all of Scripture. It is a great love story. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. And that's my favorite story in the Bible, the story of David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, that is, Bathsheba. And notice, as we read all the way through Scripture, she's never referred to as David's wife. She was Uriah's wife. And David, oh, David, his great sin was taking Bathsheba and murdering her husband, Uriah. Well, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Now notice that we're moving through all the kings of Israel and Judah. Well, the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom, here. Jesus will be in the line of the kings. And, you know, as I read these names, they might sound 
unfamiliar, a bit strange. But if you've been with me through one of our seven-year programs, we know all these people intimately. Their stories are all through Scripture in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. We know these people. This is like looking at a family photo album, the genealogy here in Matthew. So we're right up to the Babylonian captivity, 586 BC. Now, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, she the Tiel, uh, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Elikayim, Elikayim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, uh, Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, we're not as familiar with these names. Well, we know up through Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, who led the people back to Jerusalem after Cyrus the Great issued the decree in 539 that the Jews and everybody else taken captive by Assyria and Babylon could go home and rebuild. So we know the people up to Zerubbabel. But after that, well, we don't know. We don't have the stories of these people. But Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. Joseph is Jesus' legal father. And by emphasizing Joseph here, we emphasize Jesus' claim on the kingship of Israel through the line of the kings. And thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ. Well, there were more people tucked in there in each one, but we have a nicely balanced genealogy, a three-part genealogy, Abraham to David, David to the Babylonian captivity, Babylonian captivity to Christ. Three times 14. 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, David to Babylon, and Babylon to Christ. Now, I want to turn over to the gospel according to Luke and look at the beginning. Look at the beginning of Jesus. And I'm turning to Luke chapter 1 at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, Herod was appointed by the Roman government as king. There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Back in David's day, when he planned on building the temple, he organized the temple priesthood into 24 divisions. Abijah is one of those divisions. At the time of David, there were about a thousand, well, there were a thousand priests in each division, 24,000 in all. Now, at the time of Jesus, how many priests are in a division? Well, I don't know, but a whole lot more than a thousand. Now, Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So they're both from the tribe of Levi. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. 
Now once, when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go to the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, we need to pause there. 24 divisions, and each division had well over a thousand priests. There were 48 Levitical cities. The Levites got no land. They were not a tribe that had land allocated to them, but they were positioned throughout Israel in 48 cities to minister to the people. But the primary job of a priest was to offer sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem. So the division of Abijah was on duty. 24 divisions. One, how many divisions would be on duty and how long? Well, 24 divisions. They would have a two-week tour of duty, as it were, where they would go to Jerusalem and function at the temple. How often had Zechariah been called on duty? Well, two weeks out of every year. And he and Elizabeth lived in what today is a suburb of Jerusalem and Karem. But uh, how many times would he actually be called to do that? I, I love this story. I teach it when we visit the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth, out on the patio. Now, Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God. And he was chosen by Lot to burn incense. That's the most important thing the priest was called to do. Twice a day, morning and evening, a priest would enter into the holy place. That is, through the big golden doors into a room. On the left was the menorah, on the right the table of showbread with bread and wine, and right up in the front, right at the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, was the altar of incense. And the priest would enter morning and evening and burn incense at the altar of incense. The incense was symbolic of the prayers of the people rising to God. So a priest, by definition, stood between the people and God, and he spoke to God on behalf of the people. That was his reason for being, to do that. But only the priest on duty, burning the incense, was to do it. So how many times has Zechariah, he's an older man, elderly I presume, uh, as was Elizabeth, but how many times did he burn the incense? Probably never. He was chosen by lot, well over a thousand priests in a division, serving their two-week reserve duty, as it were, in Jerusalem, and this was the choice job. It would be very much like a Roman Catholic priest saying Mass, and the only place he could say Mass was at the main altar in St. Peter's Basilica under the Bernini Balticin. Of all the priests in the world, the only time they could say Mass was when they were chosen to do so in Rome at that altar. So how many times would a priest get to celebrate Mass? Well, maybe once, if he's chosen by lot, out of all the priests in all the world. So this was a a rare opportunity, and Zechariah was chosen. 
When the time for burning incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So everyone went along with Zechariah, all the people from the town of Ankaram, and they were cheering him on. I bet they had t-shirts with his picture on it and they had flags flying. Oh, it was a great time. So Zechariah went in to the holy place. Chances are he had never been in there before and he's right in the presence of God. He must have been in awe. He went in, he saw the menorah to the left, the table of showbread to the right, the altar of incense right before the big curtain. There's only one way in and one way out, the golden doors. And he looked around in awe and he stepped up to the altar of incense and was about to light the incense and burn it when he closed his eyes and he prayed. And when he opened his eyes, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. The angel, an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, as we'll find out. Angels are fearsome, awesome creatures. Zachariah, when he walked in, there was no one there. Now, oh my gosh, he darn near had a heart attack, you can believe. But when Zachariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Fear not. That's what angels always say. When you see an angel, it's not a Hallmark card angel, a little chubby cherub. It is a fearsome, awesome creature. And your knees are shaking and you're headed toward the floor. Fear not, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah the prophet to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John will pave the way for the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Zechariah, of course, is stunned. He asked the angel, uh, how, how can I be sure of this? I, I'm an old man, and have you seen Elizabeth lately? And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe or comprehend my words, which will indeed come true at the proper time. This is not a punishment for disbelief. Zechariah is struggling to wrap his mind around the magnitude of what's just been said. So Gabriel announces that God will plunge Zechariah into silence to ponder these events. And notice as we read through this story, how many people are plunged into silence. Meanwhile, 
The people were waiting for Zechariah outside. They were wondering why in the world he took so long in the temple. Did something happen to him? And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple because he kept making signs but remained unable to speak. He came out pale as a ghost, knees shaking, an expression of awe on his face and and raising his arms. A big creature was in there. He was huge and it was terrifying. Now, when the time of his service was completed, when his two-week reserve duty was over, he returned home to Enkerem. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. So she becomes pregnant. She's also plunged into silence. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, the scene cuts to Nazareth up in the Galilee, about 90 miles north. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary, living in the little town of Nazareth, a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. That's important to note. Mary would have been between 13 and 15 years old. That was the marriageable age for a girl at that time. And she was betrothed to Joseph. That's way more than being engaged. Typically, two families came together and created a binding legal document, a betrothal document, that required obligations from both families and both parties who were going to be married. To break that betrothal took another legal process. So this is way more than a simple engagement. She is betrothed to Joseph. Now, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She's 13, 14, 15 years old. She's by herself, presumably. And the angel Gabriel appears to her. Now, remember with Zachariah, he took one look at the angel Gabriel and was headed toward the floor. Fearsome, awesome, male creature. Mary, a young teenager, by herself, suddenly this figure appears before her. She was greatly troubled. What is going to happen here? Well, you can imagine what was running through her mind. She was in danger. But the angel said to her, as angels always do, Fear not, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. 
Well, that was a shocker. What was Mary thinking here? You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Mary is betrothed to Joseph. And I imagine she envisioned a very nice life with Joseph in Nazareth. Joseph, a humble person in the building trades, a carpenter, if you will. She had a vision for her life, an expectation for what it would be. And now this, and she's betrothed to Joseph. Now, if you turn back with me to Deuteronomy, chapter 22 at verse 23. This is the law. If a man happens to meet in a town, a virgin pledged to be married, that is betrothed, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. Mary knew this. Every little girl knew this. You know, today we don't think that much of it. But I remember back in the, I grew up in the golden age of the 50s. And I remember in 10th grade, we had a girl in our class in homeroom. I sat next to her. And a very nice girl. And one day she simply didn't come to class anymore. And it turned out, that she had become pregnant in 10th grade and then was shipped out of town. She went to a home for unwed mothers and we never saw her again. Her family moved out of the neighborhood. It was a disgrace. Well, here in Mary's day, she knew that if she became pregnant by someone other than Joseph, Deuteronomy 22 would come into play. That's a big risk. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? In other words, what will be the mechanics of all this? How's this gonna work? And the angel answered, and this is the first time in scripture an angel blushes. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Oh, and by the way, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child. Notice how he changed the subject? <laughs> the virginal conception of Jesus. I never really understood how that worked. Back in the early 2000s, among our travels, every summer I took a group of 18 to 20 people with me to the Egyptian Red Sea and I chartered a dive boat and we'd live on the dive boat and dive the Egyptian Red Sea. Oh, a beautiful place. The Red Sea is to water what the Amazon is to land. 21% of the life in the Red Sea only exists there. It is stunningly beautiful. And I remember one dive, it was mid-morning, and we rolled off the Zodiac, dropped down to about 110 feet, 
and it was a sandy bottom. And I remember moving along the sandy bottom, perfectly horizontal, legs up, not disturbing anything. And the water was so clear that you could turn and look up and actually see the surface of the water from 110 feet below it. Crystal clear. And I remember as I was moving across the bottom, across this, maybe two feet above the sand, I saw my shadow. And then I turned and looked up and I saw the light beams coming through the water. Now, when I rolled off the Zodiac, I punched a hole in the water, got horizontal like a skydiver with a controlled descent to the bottom through the water column. But when I looked up and saw the light coming through the water, not a molecule of water was disturbed. That's the virginal conception of Jesus. So how will this work? Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And by the way, Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she was said to be barren, and now it's her sixth month. Nothing's impossible with God, said Gabriel. Then, between verses 37 and 38 of Luke 1, there is a pregnant pause, if you will. And Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I like to picture all the angels in heaven, on the battlements of heaven, looking down. And right there at verse 37, nothing is impossible for God. They all took in a collective breath. And they waited for her response. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And all the angels in heaven let out that breath. Because Mary was perfectly free to say no perfectly free. But Mary, we'll explore the personality of Mary at some later point in the podcast. But I, I think this is certainly a statement of faith, of great faith, but it's also a statement of great courage. Knowing Deuteronomy 22. And even if nothing happened to her, she would be a pariah, an outcast in that little town of Nazareth. No one would have anything to do with her. Like my classmate in 10th grade, she'd be shunned. Her family would be shunned. So what's Mary going to do? Well, she has to tell Joseph. Now that's problematic. We read over in Matthew, chapter 1 at verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, betrothed, but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Well, imagine Mary telling Joseph that. Yeah, right. Now because Joseph her husband was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He loved her. He didn't want to 
expose her to that little town, drag her to the city gate and have her stoned to death. He loved her. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. That is, to break the betrothal, to put the legal process, that legal motion in process, and end the betrothal. And then whatever would happen to Mary would happen to Mary. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Well, back to Luke. What's Mary going to do? She tells Joseph. Joseph tells her, I'm breaking the betrothal. And Mary cannot stay in Nazareth. It would be publicly humiliating. She leaves. In Luke chapter 1, verse 39, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. There she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So Mary travels. She's a 13-year-old, pregnant young girl. She leaves Nazareth, comes off that finger ridge in the Jezreel Valley, makes her way to en which is about a 90-mile journey, all by herself, carrying a little blue suitcase. She knocked on the door. Elizabeth answered. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Elizabeth had been plunged into silence for six months, pondering these events. And she knew, she knew God's plan. She said, Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So Mary stayed with Elizabeth until the birth of John the Baptist. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Three months with Elizabeth and Mary, what did they talk about? They both understood God's plan. And at some point, Elizabeth said to Mary, you have to go back home. You have to go back to Joseph. And she said, well, I, I couldn't possibly. He, he's breaking the betrothal. I, 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 I'd be so ashamed and, and afraid. I, I can't go back there. But Elizabeth said, you have to. It's God's plan. So Mary packed up her little blue suitcase and walked 90 miles north. As she went up the Finger Ridge in the Jezreel Valley, 
to Joseph's home, she knocked on the door. Joseph had fallen asleep, sitting in his chair watching the Jay Leno show. <laughs> and the angel Gabriel had come to him in that dream. He'd just woken up and he said, oh my God, I, I, I sent her away. I, I don't even know where she went. It's been three months. Oh, what have I done? And then the knock on the door. He got up, he opened the door, and there was Mary with her little blue suitcase. And their eyes met, and Joseph embraced her and brought her in. Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall? Joseph took Mary home as his wife but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. This is oh, such a lovely story and we get our first introduction to Zachariah and Elizabeth and Joseph and Mary. She's now pregnant with a little baby growing in her womb. Imagine. God enfleshed within her. She is quite literally the mother of God. I leave you with that. Look forward to seeing you on Friday and we'll continue the story at that point. Bye-bye now.